Happy Friday! My name is Quinn Emmett, and this is Important Not Important, Science for People Who Give a Shit. The newsletter features the most important science news of the week, how to think about it, and what the hell you can do about it. Hit subscribe right now so you get this audio newsletter every Friday, plus our conversations with the world's smartest people on Mondays. You can find the digital version and links to everything at newsletter.importantnotimportant.com or write from your show notes. It's Friday, April 1st, 2022. Here's the week summarized. We're going to talk about the climate tech gap explained, free COVID tests are over, the future of fresh water, millions of nurses lost, and Facebook still not regulated. In climate change news, as real-world climate effects, some predicted and others not so much, continue to become manifest, a more frequent and thorough review of efforts to slow global warming is requisite. On the one hand, East Antarctica's Conger Ice Shelf, which is the size of Rome or Los Angeles, however you want to view it, collapsed. It's not great, but is indicative less in isolation as some big, scary event. It's a relatively small shelf, was a long time coming, and more that warm water and warm air continue to eat away at the colder half of Antarctica. On the other hand, we're doing this thing. Billions in dollars are plowing into early-stage climate tech. That's great, but there's an enormous gap in funding for successful seed projects that are now ready to go commercial or to scale. And because so much of what we need to build or rebuild is in the real world, scale is what's desperately needed. It's where we get this shit done. Here's how to understand it. We have spent the past 15 years making enormous technical gains in solar and wind and batteries. But as wildly impressive as the cost drops have been to go with those, the easy part's over. We are firmly now in the real-world scale phase, and the landscape has become far more complicated. So, Switching to EVs in the U.S. could save 100,000 lives from air pollution alone over the next couple decades. But the chips and minerals required are already in very short supply. Meanwhile, Putin's illegal war in Ukraine has threatened to cut off hordes of clean energy-related minerals. The U.S. doesn't have many on our own. So Europe is working desperately to get off of Russian gas, and while heat pumps are dope and could alleviate some of the demand, and some countries are considering new nuclear plants, the U.S., despite recent deals this week, may not have enough gas to actually make up the difference there long term. Meanwhile, China's renewables goals may be reached five years early, and again, they've got a lot of those minerals that we need. So, while one of the U.S.'s largest wind farms is now up and running in Oklahoma, and that's fucking cool— the developing world still remains in energy poverty. So while wind and solar supplied a record 10% of global power in 2021, which is awesome, the desertification of the West is drying up water not only for farming and drinking, but also for long-reliable hydropower. On the one hand, U.S. President Joe Biden's new budget calls for billions in transformative climate mitigation and adaptation, but will it actually become legislation? I don't know. And that's the crux here. There's this big gap as we go through this transition as we're starting it, right? Our biggest lever remains policymaking, and policy only holds up as long as the party supporting it remains in power. 
But with the U.S. still so dependent on cars and the war and everything that's going on, U.S. gas prices are relatively high compared to, again, Europe. We're not only not subsidizing electric vehicles and public transportation, but policymakers like Governor Newsom of California are throwing gas rebate cards at California car owners in a desperate bid to basically stay in power. So, like and not unrelated to poverty, decarbonization is a policy choice. The tech is here. It's ready to be scaled. And so is the opportunity. The biggest remaining questions are where we're going to find the raw minerals and where we're going to find the money and the votes. We have to close that gap. Your action step, you should already be subscribed to our friends at Climate Tech VC's essential free newsletter, breaking down the whole industry every week. But don't sleep on Climate Rays. It's a brief curated newsletter focused on early stage climate companies led by women founders. In COVID news, vaccine equity update, just 14.5% of people in low-income countries have received at least one dose, and 35.7% of people worldwide have received zero doses. Here's the news. As the Omicron variant BA2 drives case counts up again in 10-plus U.S. states and the U.K., among others, you'd be excused for not having really noticed. And, and here's why. The U.K., having scrapped all pandemic restrictions a little while ago, ended free testing today just as hospitalizations are rising once again. And our special relationship exists in this example, too. After Congress declined to pick up the $22 billion tab, COVID tests are no longer free for the uninsured, who, if you're playing along, number around 28 million Americans, the same people who frequently live and work in tight quarters with hourly jobs with zero paid sick leave. So, What's next? Well, free vaccines and monoclonal antibody treatments are next on the chopping block. And as always, look, context is vital here, right? Cases are, by the measures we've all been using for the last two years, historically low. We've got more immunity than ever thanks to vaccines and Omicron, and we've got these pills that fend off severe sickness. This is all great. So, there will be a surge, but it may be relatively manageable for health systems, and if you're up to date on your boosters, relatively safe. But again, we're really trying really hard to make that outcome less likely. We're making testing harder and less affordable. Tests at home, to be crystal clear, don't count towards official case counts. There's still no mandatory sick leave, and we're nowhere near vaccinating the world. So like climate tech, again, there's this gap between what we are perfectly capable of doing and what we're doing. The tools are now available to those who can afford them, but we have to actually choose to use them. Less than 70% of Americans over 65 have even had one booster shot. Millions of free government tests are still waiting to be ordered. And again, once you get those, they don't count towards case counts. And folks in general Look, they're not excited to wear masks again, which sucks because it's the simplest measure to stop spread. And not just of COVID, also of norovirus or the flu. Here's your action step. Load up on home tests and good masks. Get your booster if you're eligible. And bookmark and share the best new wastewater surveillance dashboards. The first one is called COVID Poops. You're welcome. And also the CDC has a pretty great one. So, in food and water news, here's the news. The scramble to mitigate dwindling freshwater supplies amid 
rickety infrastructure, uh, increasing drought, and population growth is probably the most unheralded issue of our time. So I've decided I'm going to keep banging on about it until we're really paying attention. So that's because it's water, right? There's a lot of nice-to-haves out there. Water is not usually on that list. You subscribe to this newsletter, so you know that California's water crisis isn't going to just affect lawns and pressed juice bottling, but also a quarter of the country's food and 40% of its fruits and vegetables, which again, are delicious. Like with cities now inevitably threatened by sea level rise, we have to be able to have hard conversations about the West. I'm going to get some shit for this, and I genuinely do try to avoid hyperbole, but California, Arizona, and the six other states primarily served by the Colorado River, a region where the population is projected to double by 2060, are in trouble. Farmers are already getting zero water deliveries and pumping groundwater that doesn't exist. Calls for voluntary residential cutbacks to irrigation are not enough. The fabled and vitally important rainy season doesn't really exist anymore. It just ended yesterday. And while storms will bring temporary relief, that's just not how you sustain a population, much less one of the world's most vital breadbaskets. Myriad cutbacks and shortcuts and distribution deals with tribal nations who have powerful water rights will make the short term tenable and even ignorable to many who can pay for the increasing cost of water, if they notice at all, for now. But aside from massively expensive and energy-intensive desalination, we're not going to make more water. As it warms, the drought will continue to grow, and the only way to slow warming is to cut methane and carbon emissions immediately through carbon tech. If you've read everything above, you know we can do this. It's not going to be a pretty transition, but there is so much to save, and there's a far less volatile world on the other side. Here's your action step. I've learned an enormous amount about water from an organization called Circle of Blue. I really, really, really recommend you read and listen to their work. It can inform your personal choices, your policymaking, and your corporate policies today. In health and bio news, a brief reminder if you're new here. SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID, was a pop quiz that tested every societal and economic choice we've made to date. And while the mRNA vaccines are among humanity's greatest accomplishments, full stop, making future viruses less likely to reach us and less deadly when they do requires going back and making different choices because we failed the quiz. So here's the news. A new report shows that one-third of U.S. nurses plan to leave their roles in the next year, citing burnout, stress, shitty benefits, and pay as the leading reasons why. So all of this is unfortunate, to be crystal clear, because nurses are fucking awesome, and we're going to get to that. But as usual, let's pretend you're my six-year-old and just ask, but why? Let's go deeper. 40% of those nurses say they're not quitting nursing per se, but looking for nursing roles elsewhere. And I imagine you think, oh boy, it's time to talk about travel nurses again. But no, listen, again, that's another symptom. Travel nurses and the pay they demand aren't the issue. They're a symptom. So again, let's ask why. 
We were short a shit ton of nurses before COVID, and we're increasingly short not just because one in five health workers have quit since COVID, and not just because most nurses are over 50 years old and getting ready to retire, but because nursing schools have turned away their replacements to the tune of 50,000-plus qualified candidates every year. Why? Because there weren't enough faculty to train them. And there's not enough faculty to train them because we don't pay those faculty enough, so they just stay nurses. And there isn't enough classroom space, and because our healthcare system profits from specialized doctors performing billable services. So all of this, all of this is true, despite the large amount of meta-analysis research showing more nurses equals better health outcomes. So, moral of the story with nurses— Training millions of well-paid nurses can alleviate so many of the existing and upcoming public health issues. What do you mean? Well, we've barely begun to study long COVID, which might be one of the greatest disabling events in history, much less treat what may be a variety of lifelong health complications for millions of people, or to serve the chronically ill folks who were shunted aside for all the COVID. 30% of U.S. adolescents are reported to have prediabetes. 30%. Heart attacks and strokes killed more people in the last two years than COVID, and most of the causes, tobacco, hypertension, air pollution, are choices we make. But we can also keep people out of the hospital. Upgrading our public health means making it easier for people to make the easy, healthy choices throughout their life. You can't just yell at people. We can subsidize legumes in walkable cities. We can flood the airwaves with anti-tobacco ads while we regulate nicotine to fucking negligible levels. We can regulate insulin prices. We can regulate the shit out of sodium in packaged foods, and the same for street-level air pollution from power plants, automobiles, leaf blowers and stoves, and boom, diabetes, heart attacks, and strokes are now manageable. We're not going to cure everyone of everything. But if we address our root weaknesses, the places where we failed, the next virus won't be so deadly, and we'll have millions of nurses ready to listen and attend to the folks who do get sick. Here's your action step. So nursing schools, from what I understand, are mostly funded at the state level. So, for example, my home state of Virginia is trying to increase funding to double the number of graduates. So contact your state representative to find out what the hell they're doing to increasing funding for nursing schools. Some open scholarships for nursing students can be found at the link in our show notes. Lastly, in computer news, one of the reasons I started Important Not Important was because so many friends and family who otherwise gave a shit were getting their news from Facebook. And we know how that turned out. Well, in 2022, Facebook's still at it. From Global Witness, When we simulated the experience of a climate-skeptic user on the platform, within a few clicks, Facebook's algorithm recommended content that denied the existence of man-made global warming and attacked measures aimed at mitigating the climate crisis. Much of this content deployed culture war tactics to polarize debate around climate change and demonize environmental movements. Here's how to understand it. Facebook's disinformation allowances continue to not only hinder decarbonization efforts, but also, for example, and I'm not kidding, this is from this week, failed to label 80% of posts promoting bioweapons conspiracy theories 
in the war on Ukraine, which is neat. Also this week, Facebook engineers revealed that they conducted an investigation that found that Facebook systems failed to properly demote probable nudity, violence, and even Russian state media the social network recently pledged to stop recommending in response to the country's invasion of Ukraine, and that was in up to half of all news feeds, or 1.5 billion people. Taken in good faith and isolation, which pains me to do, these issues feel like bugs, not features, unlike Facebook's lobbying to get TikTok labeled a threat to American children. On the whole, and in real life, they continue to be indicative of a platform that suffocates or just buys competition and internally is technically and morally ungovernable. I'm a nerd who occasionally writes science fiction for money, and yet I'm increasingly less convinced we are supposed to be connected like this at such vast scale. Now, you might use this moment to evangelize decentralized social networks, and sure, while one of those could theoretically remove the massively powerful central actor, of course, then any hope of content moderation, I'm convinced that the error lies not with capitalism, with the instant connections to billions of people, or the combination of the two that is so powerful here, but with humans ourselves. This is the alignment problem. I'm not sure we are able to wield such a thing. Here's my action step. Support the markup, which you've seen before. It is my favorite nonprofit newsroom that holds tech companies' feet to the fire. Not literally, which is too bad. Here's the last 10 things from my notebook. One, a tiny upstate New York town is holding the door against Bitcoin. Two, Greta's got a brand new book and 100 excellent contributors. Three, the UN named a greenwashing bullshit detective panel. Number four, the Energy Department proposed tougher standards for air conditioning and pool heaters. Number five, after all this time, besides the obvious, why have some people avoided COVID? Number six, ancient genetic tricks to improve crop yields are super legit. Number seven, we've got the list of the 2022 GRIST 50. Number eight, complex genetic testing on embryos may already be out of control. Number nine, Styrofoam Replacement Temper Pack raised $140 million to keep your gold belly cold. And number 10, the U.S. will release 2.4 billion genetically modified mosquitoes to battle deadly diseases in the West. That's the news for this week. Hit subscribe now so you get next week's analysis straight to your feed. To go deeper on any of the news or to find your action steps, go to newsletter.importantnotimportant.com. Thanks for being a part of our community. And thanks for giving a shit. Have a great weekend.